Name something better for your health and well-being than great sleep. You can't. And great sleep starts with a great mattress. So get a great mattress from Best Mattress. Best selection, best brands, best price. Best mattress. Sleep easy, friends. Join us this Sunday for the Silver and Black Aftergame Party at Crazy Horse Three Gentlemen's Club. It's the closest place to party from Allegiant Stadium. Enjoy drink specials, giveaways, and hundreds of beautiful women. Don't miss the after party this Sunday starting at 8 p.m. at Crazy Horse Three. Now is the time to get top dollar for your trade-in and hop into the Acura of your dreams. Come down to Finley Acura in the Valley Auto Mall, where you can save big on the hottest new cars from the premium sport compact ILX to the spacious top-performing SUV, the MDX. They also have a large inventory of pre-owned vehicles with competitive pricing. And the excellent customer service will make your car buying experience the best one yet. Visit Finley Acura showroom today in the Valley Auto Mall or online at finleyacura.com. This fall, get in the game and earn cash for betting sports with the William Hill Nevada Mobile Sports app on your phone or tablet. During William Hill's Fall Rewards, earn up to $500 cash back. Between now and December 31st, you'll be eligible for cash back points for every wager made, win or lose on the William Hill Nevada Mobile Sports app. You'll also earn bonus cash back for teasers and parlay card wagers made on the app. To enroll in Fall Rewards and to see participating locations, visit WilliamHill.us. That's WilliamHill.us. Your home for UNLV Athletics is right here on ESPN Las Vegas, 1100 AM and 100.9 FM, KWWN Las Vegas. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s, it's Cofield and Company. Back here at Silver 7s, Michael Felder joined us. Love this spot, college football preview, but before we do any of that, I saw some chatter last night on social media about uh, voice text. I already hashed it out with Xavier Pope about 20 minutes ago. Uh, what are we doing here? Are we now, now, we have to, now we have to speak into the phone and send text so people can hear our voices. What's happening? So I, I think it's one of those things. It's really cool because people can't screenshot it and then share it. I think that's a positive of it. You can't screenshot and share what's, what's going on. So I think that's one reason a lot of athletes are into it. A lot of famous people are into it. Oh. But for me, I don't have the bandwidth the value i listen to podcasts all day that's what i do when i work i listen to shows i listen to you know whether it's sports or it's comedy or whatever i'm listening to something and to stop down listen to your voice text and then go back to it or to have to send another one it's too much too much work i know not gonna happen i'm not doing it okay good two to one we uh, we win xavier was all about it i'm like uh you know what i've i've carved out Why? a i've carved out i don't know because it's more personal um, I've carved out a system here where I really don't have to speak to anyone, so I don't want to kind of go back in time and, and be speaking to people. Um, yeah. Boy, I would love to speak to him. We'll probably try to get him on because we had him on in the past. Because I think behind the scenes a couple of years ago, this guy was up for the UNLV job. This is still why Tony Sanchez had the job. Jim Mora Jr., yeah. why this job? The UConn job? He wants to work, I think, right? He wants to work. It's got to be that he wants to work, right? Like, this is a guy that just – Obviously, he was at UCLA. Um, he's done some television. He's not regularly on television, if I'm not mistaken. He's on it sometimes. But I think he just wants to work, and this is a job that's going to hire him. And I also think this has a lot to do, from the UConn side of things, I think it has a lot to do with um, hiring somebody that can actively do the job now. I think that's another part that's very important. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, I guess my biggest worry with him, because, you know, before uh, Marcus Arroyo got the job, 
we were tracking this is a UNLV job. We were tracking Mora because the year before, like I said, he was rumored, and he actually he started following a bunch of commits for UNLV and a bunch of recruits yeah. on the West Coast. But to me, he's a West Coast guy, and I just that is one of the biggest things is to go into a new area, three thousand miles away from what you're used to, and quickly establish ties to get players. Because the bottom line is they got to get players. Yeah, that, I think that's the thing is they need guys, and 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 it's going to be interesting to see how it shakes itself out, but. He's gonna be a. He's gonna have a leg up, and I don't know how much this, how big of a leg it is, or how much of a leg, or how much it helps. But at least he can start recruiting now and establishing relationships or building relationships, um, versus someone who's not gonna get hired until right up to that 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 early signing period. Uh, let's talk about UConn and Clemson from this standpoint. The who cares about the game? Um, Clemson needs to show some progress here at the quarterback position, and I noticed this week. Uh, Tom Luganbill basically threw it out there, the ESPN analyst, that, hey, maybe Dabo just missed on DJU. I don't think he missed because we saw him look good already, right? We've seen him look good. Um, he started two games a year ago, and he did he did a good job, and we've seen him do things that are otherworldly, essentially, in this. I think there are a couple things. A couple things I'll think of. One, obviously, the offensive line issue. That's a real thing. I think if we're going to talk about what Dabo missed on, he missed on the fact that college football, as it evolves, has – transition back to a lot more physical game up front where you do have to still be dominant, not just shield blocking uh, up front. And I think that's that's a miss. That's a bigger miss than that, the quarterback spot. And then the other part of it is DJ Uyunglele is good, but we see it with DJ Uyunglele. We see it with CJ Stroud and we see it with Bryce Young. All three of those guys kind of in that same class. And there is this unwillingness to run because these guys all want to play in the NFL. They don't want to be deemed as running quarterbacks. They want to show that they can hang in the pocket. But if you notice at the end of football games, and hell, let me get, I'll grab my notebook, man. I'm going to go. Here we go. The Felder notebook. notebook. Here we go. Flip, 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 flip. Earlier in the year, (laughs) in the game against, um, I think it was maybe Georgia Tech, when they were in jeopardy of losing, you notice that the only person that touches the ball was the only two people that touched the ball were Shipley and DJ Uyangalele. When they care about winning, when they have to win, you you only see one in five touch the football. Other than that, they'll play around the rest of the game. As my guys at Split Zone Zoo have said, they like Clemson kind of is playing with their food <laughs> early on. They're trying stuff out and seeing stuff, moving things around the plate. But when they have to win, when they have to make a play, they go they give the ball to five, they give the ball to one. And at the, and the other part for me um, is he's hurt now. So I wonder what that looks like in terms of them trying not to run him early to preserve some of that health. And so we'll see what it looks like. But I don't think he's a miss at all. And for folks who want to play Clemson-UConn, it's a 41-point spread. I'm already down on New Mexico State for uh, S's and giggles at plus 51.5 against Alabama. Kind of weird these games are being played at this point in the season. Michael Felder's with us. Stadium, at in the bleachers up on Twitter. Uh, you know, you didn't mention Penn State. Listen, they control some destiny, but what they can do is be a real spoiler here. Yes. Is Michigan going to go on the road and beat them? And by the way, the other angle here is, is uh, James Franklin completely focused on this job or future jobs? Well, you don't get those future jobs if you tank this job, right? Good job. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. I, I, I think that Penn State is uniquely positioned, as you mentioned, to play that spoiler role. They play really hard football defensively. And when I say by really hard, it's 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 not just the toughness. It's that it's legitimately like they hit you. 
they hit you hard and it hurts. And like the game hurts. It look watching them play, it feels like it hurts, right? Like they it's like, man, these are like guys that don't use lotion. They just literally <laughs> just like they just dry off and put their clothes on when they get out of the shower. Like their hands are always ashy and like rough and like these guys got they got they don't wear gloves when they're pulling ropes, like those type of things. Like they just are a hard team on a defensive side. But offensively, they're incredibly mercurial, and you never know what you're going to get. And I think that offensive part of it is going to be interesting as we get through the rest of their games because for them, we saw. what. Ha- and obviously, this is also a, an issue with, with Ohio State, but we saw that they could score a little bit when they had to against Ohio State, and they were able to do it. And then they can't – and then they score a little bit more against Maryland. And obviously, Sean Clifford is getting healthier and healthier – uh, versus when he was in the Iowa football game that he got knocked out of that cost him to lose three in a row. So they've got Jahan Dotson, and they have Sean Clifford, and that's pretty much all they have. But that is enough to win some of these football games. they got Michigan, Rutgers, and, and Michigan State. So we'll see how this this thing shakes out. But I love, like, Penn State's one of my favorite defenses to watch. The offense, you can miss me with that. I, I'm not a fan, huge fan <laughs> of watching that, but right. defensively, Jaquan Brisker is probably my favorite player in the country, and I know he's playing hurt, but he's getting the job done. And you throw in the rest of those guys, they figure out a way. And, and the, the, the the roughest spot for me here is the difference between this game, Ohio State, and Michigan State. Are, this is a game that Michigan wants to play because they're going to feel comfortable playing the way that Penn State plays. And they're gonna. It's gonna be small ball. It's gonna look a lot more like Week One, right? Wisconsin, Penn State, than the the Michigan, Michigan State game. And so they're gonna pack it in and try to think they can just win by running football. And I think that that creates a wider margin for error on their side and a bigger opportunity to steal the substate from Penn State side. Virginia is a high-powered offense. You got to keep up with them. Notre Dame minus five and a half here. Is this the spot where the Irish fall? Uh, we got to know if Brennan Armstrong's healthy. That's that's job one. And then after that, yeah, they could. I mean, if you're Cincinnati, you're you're rooting for them to take care of business for sure. It's just going to be interesting. Like we saw, we saw when um, it, it, we saw Virginia play BYU, and it was a matter of keeping pace, right? And I, I think that Notre Dame is going to have to recognize that keeping pace is how you win this football game because they're not going to stop. They understand who they are from an identity standpoint. BYU was like, you know what? I guess we're going to have to score 60-something points to win this football game, <laughs> and they did it. Yep. And we'll see if Notre Dame brings that same mentality because I think – I truly think from a style standpoint, it's easier to be good on offense. It's really hard to be good on defense. And then if you're not going to push the pedal to the metal offensively, at some point, and we saw this, oh, man, to go back to Michigan, Michigan State, right? That was a couple of weeks ago. But what we saw was Michigan got out of their comfort zone, and they did a good job. They built up that 30-14 to 14 lead by throwing the football around. But then when it got to crunch time, that's not who they are. And they didn't know what to do in the back end of that football game because that's just not who they are. They're not a team that throws it around versus Purdue, who throws it around all the time. Michigan State had them inside the five. Uh, hoping to force a three and out to get a short porch. And they they come out on first down, throw it to David Bell, because that's who they actually are as a football team. And I think this is going to be a lot of the same where if Notre Dame does not realize that 
for 60 minutes, we have to keep the pedal to the metal and find ways to score because we're not just going to stop them. If Notre Dame doesn't realize that, then they will lose this football game. If they recognize we're going to have to put the ball up, we're going to have to make plays offensively because they're never going to stop, then they got a chance to get a win. College football expert Michael Felder with Cofield and Company. Interesting stories on both sides of this game. Iowa State 10.5 over Texas Tech. Uh, Iowa State's now won four or five. They just smashed Texas last week. On the Texas Tech side, wait, they blew out Matt Wells in the middle of a season to go and grab a guy who essentially is a high school coach. He's been on the staff five years at Baylor, but as a position guy, now he's being elevated to a Big 12 job, a lot of it based on his success at Cedar Hill High School? Yeah, it's it's very interesting. Um, obviously, that speaks to – there are two things. With Texas Tech, it's one of those outpost jobs. We say the same thing about Washington State. We say the same thing about Starkville. Um, so there's that element to it. The other part of it is – they want to find a way to recruit, and the way to recruit is to bring in these high school guys. And and it's not. I mean, you you got you're you're, you're in Vegas. Like we saw the same thing with what, what was it Tony Chan, was Tony Sanchez? Sanchez? Yeah, Bishop Gorman right down the road. Yeah, we saw. So this is very similar to that. Um, he's got obviously the experience of being at Baylor, but uh, with with McGuire, I think it's going to be interesting to see what their December looks like. How is he able to entice kids to go out to Lubbock? So we'll see what it looks like. I think Iowa State wins this game going away, but. The coaching part is a little more interesting because they're Texas Tech is a place like if they don't like you, they want you gone. And <laughs> Mike Leach wore out his welcome. They yep. got rid of him. Um, Matt Wells, they had a winning record, right? Yep. And they were like, yep. you're out of here. Yep. So I think this is a very personal job. And I think it's a person. They have a personal booster base. that's like, hey, man, if you're not doing the stuff that we want, you don't do stuff the way that we like it. We're going to get rid of you. It doesn't matter what, what the record looks like. Mike Leach is their most winning coach. And they were like, no, we're done with this guy. He's a, he's a lunatic. And Wells is like a little prickly. Wells is – not, I'm not comparing Wells to Leach. I think Leach is truly a psycho. I think Matt Wells is <laughs> a guy who just isn't – I think Matt Wells is a lot more like Chip Kelly where he's just not that interested in glad-handing with a bunch of people like yep. yokels who just happen to own like three car dealerships. He's not interested in that. <laughs> and that that doesn't play for Texas Tech, though, right? Like yeah. That's a problem for yep. them. So we'll see what happens. McGuire hire. We'll see if it's good or not. Maybe he turns out to be another Dabo Swinney, right? A guy who's a position coach that gets the head coaching job and figures it out. But it's not going to be easy. Last one. We have – Story circulating around Arizona State and Washington. So ASU's five and a half on the road against Washington. Uh, Arizona State wins last week against USC. During the week, they actually fired their sideline reporter, a former ASU player, because he was saying some stuff on a podcast saying, hey, right now it's not working. But, you know, hey, they, they played well. Um, but on the Washington side, Jimmy Lake's out there, you know, slapping guys in the head. Now he's suspended for the game. You also had uh, Jimmy Lake, uh, you know, talking about academics over athletics and the Oregon battle and now now we're seeing rumors uh, you know uh john wilner's really good on the west coast and yeah. and the pac-12 and he's like uh you know what jimmy lake is probably done and justin wilcox is going to move up north and take the washington job so fascinating stuff swirling around both of these programs yeah um the the asu thing that feels a little more minor but yeah they they are conducting a college football experiment that's been up and down but i think they've been up and down not because of the experiment they're conducting with like the ceo style head coach and 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 the way that they're running the program, I think it's been a lot more the, the two individual silos of coaching and football and then recruiting and whatnot. I think they've been up and down simply because they're not that good. And 
on the Washington side of things, Jimmy Lake, he is a guy that probably that he just shouldn't talk, right? Him and Dan Mullen, the two coaches over the last few weeks that just just don't try to make a joke. Don't try to don't try to be flip, and also don't try to like puff things up. Like you, you're this isn't your strong suit. You're a football coach. You're not an ambassador, and I mean you have to be an ambassador for your program. But some the, sometimes the best things that you can do is not say anything. And so, yes, it starts with the academic thing going into the game and saying that Oregon's not a rival. Stanford's more of a rival to us because of the academics. Then you lose that football game and in the process end up, this was really rough for me because I think it's one of those things where you have to realize that this is 2021. It's not 1981, right? In 1981, if he goes to separate a player like that, I think nobody bats an eye. But in, but now, like, that's not the way you deal with things. It's not the way you handle things. And he also just lost control. And yeah. you can't lose control. And that's the big part for me is, like, it's – I'm not going to say he punched a guy or slapped a guy. I mean, I mean, he did strike that kid, and he did do a, a – there was a pretty violent shove after it. And I understand the concept of we can't afford to have these type of mistakes because if it costs us yardage, we're not good enough to make it back up. But I also, I'm not, and I'm not making an excuse for him, but I also recognize you can't do that. You have to find a better way. That's what that's a scenario where you hug that kid up and walk him out, not push and strike him. So there's that. And then the other part of it is I really like the way that Washington handled it with respect to suspended without pay. That to me says a lot because they are taking it seriously. There is no nonsense. It's not some, well, we're going to investigate and do it. No, we're, listen, you did that. We got it caught on camera. You're, you're done for a week. Don't do it again. If you do it again, you're certainly going to be done for good. But guess what? You might be done for good anyways because you're, you're also right. not really good at being a head coach. Awesome spot. Appreciate it, Michael. All right, sounds good. You guys take it easy. Check them out throughout the week on Stadium's coverage of college football at In the Bleachers on Twitter. It's Michael Felder. His spot today is brought to you by our friends at Battleborn Injury Lawyers, Justin Watkins and Matt Hoffman, and they got a cool thing going on right now. If you're a little confused about what kind of coverage you have on your auto insurance, like you're hearing it's full coverage, what does that actually mean? Justin Watkins says a lot of folks are shocked when they're told that they'll be out of pocket for medical expenses, property damage, or even car payments for an accident they did not cause. You think you're protected, but you're not. So if you really want to know what your auto policy does, right now they're doing something really cool at Battleborn Injury Lawyers. You give them a call, 570-9000, and they'll roll through your policy and tell you what you are covered for and what you are missing, but you got to call. It's Battleborn Injury Lawyers. These are our guys, Matt Hoffman, Justin Watkins. Give them a call, 570 570- Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. Let's go! The Football Frenzy. Hey, you hit me so hard down there. Presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. The Football Frenzy on Cofield and Company. Candy, when will you start using um, voice to text and start sending me your voice on text? Because uh, I think we need to get a little more personal when we converse off the air. Cofield, I would think that hearing my voice would be a trigger for you. I would think it would be something you don't want to have to do any more often than you already do for this three hours a week that we do it. Hmm. All right. Ari, would you like me to voice text you as Xavier was all in on and Felder said no way? 
Can you imagine if I recorded every time I texted you? My God, I would have no voice for the show. I would. I have no words. <laughs> Harry's like, F. Please don't. No, no. Give me some crunch, crunch. <laughs> you know, on Cofield and Company, I come in some days and I'm like, this is a nice, happy story. And then all of a sudden I'm faced with the fact like, maybe it's not. Um, when I saw Cam Newton sign this morning for a guaranteed, what, like four and a half, upwards of like 10. He's with the Panthers again. I'm like, this is great. It kind of makes up for not making a whole lot of money with the Patriots. And then Candy comes over the top in our pre-show meeting, and he's like, this is a terrible signing. Terrible. What on earth are the Panthers trying to accomplish <laughs> here? Seriously, there, there can't be anything that the Carolina Panthers can expect out of Cam Newton with what they saw last year. Like, the, the party's over, guys. I, I understand that you're probably traumatized by having watched Sam Darnold and P.J. Walker for – most of this season but i mean do you, do you guys remember what it looked like when cam newton was on the field the 27th rated quarterback by pro football focus last year between ben roethlisberger and alex smith so i saw some pretty smart people who follow the nfl on twitter today saying you know i have to wonder if this decision maybe got made over matt rule's head and then i saw a picture of cam newton standing next to the owner david tepper uh -oh. at the house Picture together of a billionaire and Cam Newton having uh, signed up this deal. So, yeah, the Panthers gave up a second-round pick to get Sam Darnold. They picked up his fifth-year option. They're going to pay him $20 million next year. What is this franchise doing? Are they hoping to finish with seven wins? Are you hoping to get a terrible draft pick? They're not going to the playoffs, not with this roster. So, I don't know. Maybe it's just that once you've had that much Sam Darnold in your life, your ex, who obviously left in quite the cloud of hate uh, on both sides to some degree with Cam Newton, maybe it looks all right. They are in the eight hole in the NFC playoffs. What's the problem? Uh, the fact that the eight hole doesn't get a playoff spot. Well, they're, they're, they're one back in the loss column of the Falcons. Yeah. They got a shot. Uh-huh. They're three and five. <laughs> <laughs> no, check that. They're four and five. I'm sorry. Vikes They're are three four and five. five. Seahawks are three and five. Niners are three and five. Like a lot of the teams behind them were expected to be good teams. They're not. Uh, I don't think the Falcons are great. Who knows what's going to happen with the Saints? Don't let the dream die, my friend. Panthers could be playoff bound with Cam Newton. Do you know who has the single hardest remaining schedule in football? The Carolina Panthers. So I, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't get on that train all too fast. <laughs> Ravens play tonight against Miami. Jacoby Brissett will be in there. No Tua. I'll give you my Cofield AFC rankings. You ready, Candy? Always. Number one, Bills. Two Titans. Three Ravens. Four Chiefs. Five Browns. Six Raiders. Seven Patriots. Then Chargers, Steelers, Bengals. Hmm. You? Who do you have on top hmm. of the AFC? Hmm. Interesting that the Buffalo Bills, who just went and lost to Pope Urban, and the Jacksonville Jaguars blip, blip. are number one. <laughs> All right, I can hear something about the Tennessee Titans. I mean, this stretch that they've been on, you beat the, uh, well, I guess you don't get much credit for beating the Chiefs anymore. Uh, the Bills, the Colts, and the Rams. Huh. Okay. I think, I think my one of my best bets last week was Titans plus seven and a half, right? Um, so uh, the Baltimore Ravens at three, huh, Cofield? 
The Baltimore Ravens at three. The Baltimore Ravens are the best team in the AFC. What? Baltimore Ravens are the best team. Brother, AFC. you watch that bass in your voice when you talk to me like this, okay? You said you wanted voice texts. This is what you're going to get. Sorry. I, just, you are, I actually just stole that. I'm not going to text I, you like I, this, Cofield. I actually just stole that from a, one of my favorite moments on uh, Yellowstone. There was, a, there was a fight that was a brewing, and I like the character Rip if no one's seen it. So I thought of you. I'm like, Candy, a little too much bass, brother, when you're pushing back on me. So back it down. You know, or else. The, a fight can't be brewing. A fight can only be a brewing. Yeah. So I appreciate that about you, Cofield. Way to get the language right. Yeah, the Baltimore Ravens, for me, are the best team in the AFC. I actually don't think it's particularly close. I think the the Lamar Jackson that we're seeing this year, his ability to throw the ball deep, the fact that he is top two in football and average depth of target, and the fact that they're moving the ball uh, not only with the run game, frankly, not even as well with the run game, uh, but you put Rashad Bateman back into the mix for this team at receiver. Uh, look, defensively, and it's strange to say this about the Ravens, there are issues. I mean, they are allowing as many yards to wide receivers this year as the Kansas City Chiefs. But if you look at what the Ravens have done season long and what I think they are in terms of total construction, to me they're the best team in the AFC, and I don't think number two is as close as it is between two and three. Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune-up today by calling 577-2600. Bryce top of the key. Bryce down the lane. Bryce puts it off the glass and in. What a tough shot by Bryce Hamilton. And it's a two-possession game with 20 seconds to go. 62 to 58. Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver Sevens with Cofield and Company. Wasn't easy, but UNLV wins its opener last night. Bryce Hamilton, familiar face. One of the only three familiar faces on the roster. Reese Brown and Marvin Coleman came back, and then the rest of the group is all new. Many of the players are from the Big 12, but, um, you know, it's funny, as Jordan McCabe was saying about a week ago, and by the way, McCabe didn't get to play last night because of a NCAA penalty. He had to sit out the game in the opener. Um, McCabe was saying a while ago, we have a lot of interchangeable pieces. Like We can bring a second unit off the bench, and we really don't miss a beat. That's where basketball is going. He said, if you watch our practice, you really can't tell who the best player is. And then he quickly said, well, I mean, Bryce. I mean, Bryce is always the best player at practice. And he is one of those guys, and I'm glad to see him back. He's a pure scorer. He's a guy who can get downhill. He can draw fouls. He's tough to cover. And when they needed it last night, that's when he really kicked it into gear with a big three coming out of a timeout. And then a couple of those, you know, get downhill, get near the rim, create contact. It wasn't his most efficient night, Candy, and they didn't spread the ball around a whole lot. Um, But I think that's coming eventually. But last night they kind of needed him to freaking carry them outside of what Royce Ham did. They absolutely did. Um, This team didn't have a lot of depth uh, given what was going on, like you said, with Jordan McCabe, and you know they obviously did not have their full complement last night. And, and look, you're not going to go wild to see Bryce Hamilton go eight of twenty-five and one of nine from three. Like th- those are still numbers that look a lot like last year for Bryce. But he did get it done when it mattered, and most importantly for this team. I mean, look, you don't want to start Kevin Kruger's first year with a loss, and I know that sounds like a captain obvious sort of thing. The fact that you know the crowd was fairly sparse in the first place, and you got to get a little excitement built around this team, they did the job they had to do. 
What do you think of the roster? At least uh, you know, a forty-minute glimpse at the roster. Minus, as as we mentioned, Jordan McCabe and minus uh, Victor Ewoker. I'll get his name uh, correct at some point, but he's kind of a six-seven uh, frontcourt player, but can also defend all the way out to the uh, two-guard position. What do you think of what you saw? I believe you just described most of Kevin Kruger's roster. A six-seven guy who can defend <laughs> out of the two spot. Like that's pretty much what the idea is with this roster. Yeah. Is that you know anywhere from the two spots to the five spot can look pretty similar depending on the roster. That's what I enjoyed actually. I enjoyed watching that part of it last night, where it wasn't all Bryce Hamilton. Obviously, twenty-five shots is a lot, but it it really did feel like offensively and defensively, I guess to some degree, that you could take any number of the pieces, shuffle them in different ways, and be able to create. Uh, some sort of unit and I think that's a really welcome change in 2021 because that's kind of the way basketball is going is that you want to be able to move especially the two three four spots around and be able to have that versatility yeah it was weird to see so no McCabe so he may have started at point guard so then you're like all right well I guess Marvin Coleman's gonna start a point guard then Coleman didn't start and Josh Baker who I don't think you know a lot of people know about but he actually was being recruited by the Big Ten and the Pac-12 uh, under the radar guy, then he starts out a point guard, and I thought he did a decent job. Nuga handled some point guard, and of course, in the end, Marvin Coleman goes out and plays 27 minutes, had eight rebounds at six two, zero turnovers in the 27 minutes. So he wasn't he he like a lot of guys, which is is kind of crazy. He seemed a little bit nervous. There were some three attempts last night where I was like, where are they shooting? <laughs> like it was it was so far off. There was one by Baker, one by Webster, and um, I think Donovan Williams had one that went way right to the rim, and then Marvin had one as well. There. Were, you know, it's just sometimes even with a crowd that you know wasn't gigantic, and we'll get to that in the uh, four o'clock hour in the Big Five. Um, there are nerves opening up the season. The real play does you know get to some people, and there are nerves when, as you just mentioned, Steve. There are so few returners on this team. Nobody really knows yet how this is all going to shake out. Nobody really knows what their role is or how many minutes they're going to get. And and a team like that where you don't have established leaders much beyond Marvin Coleman and Bryce Hamilton. There's a lot of nerves going into it. We've all done it, right? Even in high school, you play for a certain team and your team doesn't have the superstars and you go out there knowing, I can play my way right into or right out of a spot. 77 cent beers. Start up here in about an hour and a half. That's the beginning of the football game, Baltimore and Miami. That special is good for all NFL games at Silver 7s at Flamingo and Paraday. Same thing for VGK games. And guess what? There's a VGK game tonight. Golden Knights are hosting Minnesota. Over at the Fortress, so 77-cent beers. And don't forget the uh, 777 special during the football games. You get a beer, you get a couple of dogs, you get a couple of bags of chips just for 777 at Silver 7s. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. The weather is changing. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s, it's Cofield and Company. 77 cent beers start up. Yep, it's Vegas, so we do that. Silver Sevens. Well, I'll say Silver Sevens does that. Not every place in Vegas does 77 cent beers. Uh, Bud, Bud Light, and Mick Alter during the football game, and that's all NFL games, and also the Golden Knights game, which is coming up at 7 o'clock. And we got the great viewing area here, and also uh, down at the Silver and Gold Bar. All right, Candy, let's get into it. Want to talk a little uh, Miami sports and also get some more legal opinions. We can't get enough attorneys on this show. We freaking love it, and there's always issues going on. and. Uh, I've heard Amber Wilson doing national stuff on ESPN National. She's awesome. Uh, I think it was last week that she was in with 
uh, Canty and, and others. And Amber's up here on Cofield and Company in Vegas. Amber, how are you? Hey, thanks for having me. I think you guys are um, two of I think those fans are very concerned about the future of the organization. Amber, sit tight for a second. We're going to put you on hold. Uh, we're getting a little uh, little overmodulation. I don't know what, if it's the phone or our our stuff. Candy, what's your what's your? Let's try to pop uh, Amber back up with Cofield and Company. Yeah, I'm sorry about that, guys. I think my Bluetooth headphones might have been failing me. So now I'm taking it old school. The phone is up to my ear. There you go. It's a it's a little cleaner now. Um, I don't know how much you guys are into sports betting yet in. In South Florida, I, my 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 vibe of Miami is that there was always sports gambling there, always sports betting. But I, I don't know about you know the legal front. But we were just talking about trying to bet the game tonight with the Ravens laying like eight, eight and a half. Are the Dolphins going to stay in this game? I, well, that, that's a good question. I, I'm going to say no. It doesn't feel <laughs> like uh, it doesn't feel like if you're trying to put any money on the Dolphins that that seems like a good idea this evening. I just I don't have much confidence. I mean, I don't know how much you could hear when I was talking earlier, but. I was just trying to convey the disappointment around this team right now. And it's just been, it's a hard season to predict because it has been a season that has been so shocking in terms of how terrible they are. I mean, they had such a surprising season last season in the opposite regard where they exceed expectations. And now this season, you know, the worst team or one of the worst teams in the NFL only winning two games. And of course, with Tua and his status, and man, isn't that the story of the Miami Dolphins ever since they drafted Tua? I just I don't have any confidence against obviously a good Ravens team. Ever the Tua Tagovailoa thing is honestly kind of just flummoxing for anybody who watched him in college, and we know, of course, he went through the major injury and and had to come back. But the idea of tanking for Tua feels like it was a really, really long time ago. Uh, what do you think the Miami Dolphins are feeling about where Tua is right now? Well, it's funny because they didn't even really tank for Tua. You know, in the end, right, they, they right. essentially tried to, right? But then they still get Tua uh, at fifth. Uh, they didn't make it up to that first draft spot where you thought the year before that when we were all using that tank for Tua phrase where you thought you'd have to be because we thought that Tua Tungavalo would be the number one overall pick, and then, of course, uh, he wasn't. And in large part because of that hip injury and then obviously the season that Joe Burrow had. And that hip injury put that concern in people's minds, hey, maybe we're talking about a player who's going to be injury-prone, and that's absolutely what we've seen in the NFL so far. And for me, my concern is that these injuries are not related. I mean, it would almost, if it was like an aggravated hip, and you felt like, okay, well, he re-aggravated that thing, and maybe there's something surgically we can do. But it's not the hip. You know, this week it's, what, the finger. Now it's the middle finger. And it's always something. And, uh, you know, it might not be completely fair because this isn't a major injury. But they all start to add up, and they all start to give us this idea that, hey, when the best ability is availability and this guy can't be available for a full season. That's going to be a big, big problem from that position and then add into the fact that even when he is available, it's hard to evaluate him, and in part because he's not always available, and we don't really know how good Tua is at this point. And you're talking about a fan base who spent seven years watching Ryan Tannehill and asking if he was good. I mean, for seven years, for year after year after year, on Miami Sports Radio, all we would talk when I was down there doing local is, is he good? I mean, we really didn't know. And then he goes to Tennessee, and we're like, oh, okay, he is good. But we don't want to be in that situation again with another quarterback, and that's kind of where we found ourselves. You stay in a relationship for a long time. I don't know. Is she the one? Is he the one? 
And then you watch them go off, and here they become exactly what you always worried if you let them go. Oh, here you are, and there's Ryan Tannehill up in Tennessee. Uh, you're uniquely situated to talk to us about the Deshaun Watson situation, all of the rumors and speculation, and, and the idea that you know Miami wasn't going to make a trade unless they could verify uh, you know, what was going to be his status with both the civil and the criminal situations that he has hanging over him. What's your best summation of not only where Deshaun Watson is right now, but how much of a, a pipe dream that idea ever really was that these things were going to be able to be settled by the trade deadline? Well, I, I don't know that anybody would have had the expectation realistically that these things were going to be settled before the trade deadline. I mean, all those rumors were out there. We do have to consider the source of some of those rumors as well. Like, those rumors are all coming out of Texas. And, of course, we heard from the opposing attorney representing the women that the Dolphins, or he, as he understood it, he didn't directly say it, but that he thought the Dolphins might have been encouraging Watson to settle some of the actions, so that's what he was hearing. But that's where we're getting our information from. Obviously, the Dolphins vehemently kind of denied all of that and, and having any involvement in it. You know, from, from the lawyer perspective, it is not outlandish. And we deal with teams all the time. We represent, my husband and I represent a bunch of NFL players, and we only practice civil. We, we represent a lot of NFL players in matters that, you know, are certainly not exactly like the Deshaun Watson situation, but uh, you know, not as dissimilar as maybe we would hope. And teams, of course, do have involvement in those situations. And if you're trading for Deshaun, you can understand as an organization that you would want his legal issues to be as resolved as they possibly could be. But there's only so resolved they were ever going to be. I mean, there's active FBI investigations that are still pending. I think the Houston PD's investigation is still pending. So the criminal investigations are still ongoing. The Dolphins wouldn't possibly be able to put and in some hypothetical where they could have put pressure on anybody. Obviously, they're not going to be able to put pressure on those organizations to get anything done. And then, of course, you could encourage, hey, we're going to trade for you, Deshaun, maybe go try to settle some of those lawsuits. But at the end of the day, it's not going to be up to even Deshaun. It's going to take two sides to settle. And the reality is that most lawsuits in civil court do settle out of court. So it would be highly unusual if these lawsuits don't at some point settle if they remain active, most of them are not going to go to trial, statistically speaking. I mean, like 2 to 3% of them go to trial in the entire country. And so, you know, it, it's pretty outlandish to expect 22 of these to go to trial. Uh, frankly, it's outlandish to expect two of them to go to trial. Uh, but it's going to be a long play, and I would imagine the Dolphins are aware of that. So I, I just can't imagine that any team... And there's rumors out there, you know, I'm even seeing headlines today that multiple teams reportedly offered three first-rounders for Deshaun Watson. I'm sure all of these teams would have preferred Deshaun Watson's legal issues to have some sort of resolution before trying to trade for him. I don't think realistically any of those teams could have expected that. She's uh, heard on ESPN National, 790 The Ticket in Miami. It's Amber Wilson up with Cofield and company. I'm glad you mentioned that uh, you deal with NFL players. I have no idea if you talk to them on a somewhat regular basis. I, I wonder what many NFL players are thinking right now about what they just saw with Aaron Rodgers. He got a $15,000 fine. Most of the players have done what they're supposed to do. They follow the rules. They follow the protocols. Meanwhile, you got Aaron Rodgers for 10 weeks. He's doing whatever he wants. He was real uh, confusing on the uh, immunized versus, you know, being vaccinated thing before the season. He's out at this Halloween party. He's at an axe throwing thing. Like, I wonder what players around the league are thinking, or is it just like, you know what, I'm just going to mind my own business. 
I think most players are probably in the, I'm going to mind my own business. And also that's Aaron Rodgers kind of camp, you know, where it's mm-hmm. like, all right, at least we're talking about one of the best players in the league. He's, you know, fully respected around the league. I haven't actually spoken to anybody specifically, any players specifically about the Aaron Rodgers situation, but just having interacted, of course, with NFL players over the years, I'd expect that that would be the response from most of them is like, hey, that's not, that's none of my business. And, you know, at the end of the day, it was, I think it was frustrating for the general public because people felt misled by Rogers and not just misled because he did that weird statement, like you said, where he was uh, what immunized or whatever it was and, and kind of misled everyone that way. But then also, you know, misled because he, he very obviously did not follow the protocols very specifically when it would have tipped off the public that he was unvaccinated, which was kind of strange. Like reportedly he wore a mask around the facility out of eyesight, but then he decided to bend the rules a bit at best when he's at press conferences or on the sideline, which, of course, if he walked off and he immediately put on a mask, all of a sudden we'd be asking ourselves why, and then we'd know he's unvaccinated. So he was obviously trying to shield the the public from the reality that he was unvaccinated for whatever reason. And so I think people felt misled by him, but I'm not sure players cared. And reportedly inside that organization, the players on his team knew that he was unvaccinated. So last one, and we got to lean on your attorney chops here again. Uh, I think we could have something down the road if it's not handled correctly on the legal front with the Nuggets and the Heat and this whole Morris twin thing and Jimmy Butler and the, you know, Nikola Jokic and his brothers. And um, I got to tell you, as a fan, I don't know that I'd be comfortable going going to a meeting between these teams where the Jokic brothers are on the sidelines and these guys are going at it. Like, that that went from – you know, uh, a brouhaha on the floor. Then the Heat are seeking out the other team to beat the snot of them, uh, beat the snot of them by the locker room. And then you, when you find out who the Jokic brothers are, they set up a fake website, and you're like, my God, this is going to turn into a freaking disaster at some point if they actually let all these guys around each other. I mean, I would imagine that it doesn't actually ever turn into anything. Right. Ooh, that was a strong close. I think her phone cut out. That was it. She's just like, I don't think it's going to turn anything. So no, your whole, I mean, look, your whole delivery, a, Cofield, don't worry about it. That was succinct. That was absolutely <laughs> succinct. And I think that, you know, a good lawyer doesn't use any more words than they have to. Yes. You get my point, though, right? If you're if you're courtside for the next meeting between these teams oh, oh. and you and you see the Jokic brothers, for folks who don't know, Nikola Jokic has one brother who looks like he's 6'9", 300. The other one's uh, – they both play basketball. The other one's probably 6'6", you know, six, six and 225. And they're like – I don't even know how to describe. It. I guess like any movie where there's they're a bunch Ivan of, Drago. They're, 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 really, they're, they're both Drago, but, but they're just lunatic. They're just like, "Hey, bro, you're in. What did you say to my brother?" Like all the time, you're like, "Guys, calm down." And then the the Mori twins are crazy too. And then you saw Jimmy Butler has a level of crazy. Oh, you said you wouldn't want to go to this game. I will buy courtside seats. <laughs> I want to see this thing up close. I want to see. Like, you know how a hockey fight sometimes it's like five seconds after the puck drops for the first time and two guys just turn like, you want to go? You want to go? Yeah, let's get it done. Let's just throw the tip up and have everybody come on the court at one time and get this over with. Daily happy hour starts at three with beers, well drinks, and margaritas just two seventy seven.